cross of Christ. Uh, but the second, probably two victory in Jesus would most likely be because he lives. And uh, what I love about that song is that no matter what we face, um, I love that line in there about when you're holding that newborn baby and you're looking down at this child's face. And what I love about that is that with I, we have two sons and both times when we're in the hospital room and we're looking at our children and, and we're staring at his face, whether it be Anthony or Josiah's, and there's such an innocence there. There's no understanding whatsoever of what the world really is in the ups and downs and the good and the bad and all of that. There's nothing. It's just complete innocence. And I think about that, and I think, man, we can have that very same innocence, that understanding that, that no matter what comes, that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. But not just tomorrow. You can face right now. Uh, you can face 20 minutes from now, an hour from now. You can face that phone call that you're going to get tomorrow that you didn't even know was coming. Uh, it's an amazing thing. We think about the fact that he lives through us and in us today. What a glorious thought this morning. I pray that you've had a great weekend so far. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk about a three-letter word that can destroy your family. A three-letter word that could destroy not just your family, but also your career, your children, your spouse, and even your soul when you really understand this three-letter word. The word is so powerful and yet so subtle that we oftentimes welcome it into our homes and into our lives. We don't even resist allowing it into our homes and into our lives. We don't fear this three-letter word when it first enters our life. But there's some point in this life that we live that we invite this three-letter word into our homes and it finally dawns on us what we've actually allowed in and it's too late. But before we talk about that three-letter word, I really want to talk about a four-letter word that is more powerful than that, more enjoyable than anything else, and that word is love. See, before we get to that three-letter word, that the most destructive three-letter word in the English language, I want to talk about love. And not just any kind of a love, because by the way, our culture has completely perverted the idea of love. We don't really know when we look at Hollywood or culture or entertainment or media or even Hallmark, they've all missed it. There is a greater understanding of love. There is a greater love, and that love is the love of God for us this morning. You see, it's the love of God that we can sing victory in Jesus. It's the love of God that we can sing because he lives, I can face tomorrow. There's all the love of God displayed to us. Really, it is a love that he has had for us since the beginning of time. And even before the beginning of time. Isn't that a crazy thought? Like, let your mind just drift there for a moment. Your mind's already drifting. Let it drift there too. Well, what's the big deal? You're already drifting. Might as well go to this part. Think about this. There was a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was no time. And before the time began, that was the beginning of time, God said, I love you. Think about that. The Bible says, before the foundations of the world, he loved you so much he knew he was going to die for you on a cross. That means before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, the beginning being our beginning, not his beginning, he has no beginning. God from eternity past knew and understood a love for us. He looks at this room right now. And he sees every one of you, and he sees you with so much love and affection and grace. It is overwhelming. 
our English language, we can't write enough songs, we can't write enough poetry about it. There's no such thing as a love letter that's fully going to describe the love of God for us. The closest thing we have is his revealed word to us. Which still, the Bible itself says, if we told you all the things of God and all the things that he even did on earth, there's not enough volumes, there's not enough parchment, there's not enough ink that we could write it all down. His love for you is beyond compare. It is beyond measure. I love what Louis Giglio says in one of his talks. He says, when you start getting in the neighborhood of talking about God, the yardstick, the tape measurer, the ruler, the foot, the mile, these are useless. When you start to describe God and his attributes, you have to use measurements like light years. Because see, he is so vast, we cannot even come close to understanding just an inch of the depth of his love for us. It is so overwhelming, and I believe honestly that until we understand the love of God, we will never defend against the three-letter word that can destroy you and your family. This morning, I want to spend just a few moments, kind of as a way of introduction to the lesson this morning, the, the, the sermon this morning. And I want to look at some verses in the book of Romans. So turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to read actually quite a few verses, and so bear with me, read along with me. Uh, thank you for bringing your Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles that we would love to put into your hands. Completely free, no obligation, no credit check, no nothing. It's yours. All you got to do is say, I want one, I need one. It's all yours. If you have a device this morning, so scroll or kind of thumb down to the book of Romans. Okay, If you have a device you're using this morning and you don't have a Bible app that you like, uh, maybe you're trying to find one. Uh, I highly recommend, and I'm going to make a little plug here, uh, Version, Y-O-U Version. Uh, it's a, a completely free app. Uh, what I love about this is a local church down south actually put this app out. So you can download it onto your device. It works with everything. You download it. It's completely free. And what I love about it is most Bible apps, when you get the Bible app, they usually give you, obviously the King James Bible is standard, which is awesome, but they usually give you one other version that you can download for free, part of just getting the app. Then after that, you just got to pay $1.99, $2.99 for whatever downloads. version. there are certain translations they don't let you download, but there's countless others they do, and it's all free. There's devotional resources on there. There's commentary on there. There's all kinds of reading plans. version. If you don't have a Bible app, if you have one, you don't like it, switch to version. It's awesome. Trust me on that. So Romans chapter 1. And I want to read a few verses this morning. I want you to think about this love of God that we're talking about as we read these verses. Look at verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. This is a church that he's never met. He's, he did not establish this church. Most of his other letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of these letters were written to churches he actually established. He was the church planner. He went and he planted the churches. He built the church up, the Corinthian church, and then he left after some time. The book of Romans is written to the church at Rome. He never actually had seen the church at Rome. He was hoping, that the book says, to see them one day. But we know when he went to Rome to visit what he thought was going to be the Roman church, what ended up happening, he was martyred for his faith. So I want you to see this this morning. He's writing to this church. He wants to encourage them, but he's also going to lay out some very basic principles for humanity that we need to see this morning. Verse 16. And I love this verse, by the way. If, if you can memorize a verse today or this week, write this on your mirror at home. 
and let it encourage you. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You might say, well, I'm not, that's great because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ either. Well, let's read on a little bit and see what evidence he shows to prove he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. So good works isn't going to do it. Church attendance isn't going to do it. Dressing up, looking good like all y'all do this morning ain't going to do it. Okay. Getting baptized won't do it. Writing a tithe check won't do it. Studying the Bible won't do it. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes that guy at work you can't stand, he could get saved. Your neighbor that borrowed your ladder six months ago and hasn't brought it back, he's able to get saved. Some of you, your spouse, I know they're rough around the edges, but listen, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, they can get saved, but everyone in here, I know nobody's living like that. So look at it, it goes on to say there, salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that's kind of interesting. He says everyone, then he says Jew and Greek. He's saying here there's two kind of classifications. There's the Jewish people and then there's the Greeks or the Gentiles. That's you and I, that's everyone else. Okay, so it's to everyone. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amazing moment here. Anybody ever heard of Martin Luther, the reformer, Martin Luther? Raise your hand if you've heard of Martin Luther. Okay, if you've never studied about the Reformation, powerful. Study church history. Um, it's going to be very eye-opening to you. But Martin Luther was a, was a high-up uh, priest in the Catholic Church. He kind of had a moment of a wrestling with God, converted to Christ, Ended up writing this entire long thesis about all the problems in the Catholic Church at the time. This is in the 1500s. Went to the Church of Wittenberg, took a nail, nailed it to the door at Church of Wittenberg and said, there you go, that's all the problems I have with your church. And went home. Okay? That's a really condensed, paraphrased version of the story. But here's the crazy thing. The minute he did that, he became an enemy of the church. Okay? If you ever hear about Lutheran, the, the Lutheran denomination, this comes from Martin Luther. Okay? His teachings. So when we look at this here, you see that verse says the just shall live by faith or from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith that was the verse martin luther was studying the book of romans he came to this verse and he just broke down and that was the verse right there that he says changed his entire view of god and he realized all his life he was working to god trying to please god with what he was doing trying to do the church thing be a good person thing and he came across this verse and said, wait a minute if the just shall live by faith then it's not about what I do for God, it's believing what God has done for me. And this very verse right here is what changed Martin Luther's life and really started the reformation of the church, which led to great revival in the church. Verse 18. That's just a side note, more for just information. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You look at this, the creation that we surround ourselves with. I mean, I love living in this community. Growing up in the city of Detroit, I didn't really see farm fields and deer and all this stuff. Moving up here, finding all this, seeing all this, it just blows me. How can you look at the night sky when there's no lights and you just see the majesty of his creation and not think, man, God is powerful. That God created all this. Listen, the invisible things of God, you can see in his creation. Look what it's going to say here. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
We're living in that day and age this morning. We have a form of religion, but it is void of the power of God. People in our nation today think themselves wise, and the Bible says they are actually fools. Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 1. As I said, I want to read a few more verses this morning, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. Chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Drop down to verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't have a fear or an understanding of who God is or what God demands. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you listen to those words from the Apostle Paul to the Roman church, but really from the Holy Spirit to us this morning, there is one conclusion we come to after reading the first three chapters. It really condensed reading through them. But when you read through these on your own later, you're going to see a very common theme. Paul's entire reason for writing the first three chapters of the book of Romans is to establish one key principle, one key thought, that all of the world is guilty before God. It does not matter if you are Jewish, if you are Gentile, if you are religious, if you are unreligious. It doesn't matter any of that. He establishes very clearly, all of the world is guilty. It said it right there in verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory is his standard that we could never reach on our own. And when you stop right there and you just read what we read, I don't know what happens to you, but what happens to me is this amazing feeling of just unworthiness, undeserving. Just realizing that I am broken before God. I have nothing to claim before God. I have no good works. I have no religion. I have no righteousness that I can lay before him and say, this, here, this is what's going to forgive me. This is what's going to cleanse me. Here, take this as an offering. He will look at me and say, you are guilty. You are under the law. You have no forgiveness. You are damned. You are condemned. I can do nothing for you. That's what happens to me when I read these verses and I think about the fact that I am broken before God. And by the way, all the world is broken before God in sin. There is none righteous. There is none that seeks. He was, oh, I sought after God. I was seeking God. No, you weren't. No man seeks after God. You might be seeking a God. You're seeking a truth. But at the end of it, if the Holy Spirit works in your life and you respond favorably to what he's doing... That is the only way you find salvation because without the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, you would have never been saved. No, none of us go to God and go, okay, here I am. I'm ready to be saved now. That doesn't happen. 
Because we're in our sin, we're broken. The book of John says that when Jesus came, they rejected the light. You know why? Because the light revealed their sin to them, their darkness to them, and they hated that. If it ends there in verse 23, then we are broken, and we are hopeless, and we are shamed, and we feel empty. But can we just praise God for a moment that it doesn't end at verse 23? I mean, can we praise God for just a moment? Maybe you're here and you know Christ, you've been saved for a long time, so it's gotten kind of mundane to you, so maybe you just need to wake up a little bit. Maybe you should praise God that it doesn't end with verse 23. Look what's going to say there, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That just basically means ransom, a payment for, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Do you see that there? How powerful is verse 25? Who God has set forth to be the propitiation, the payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. I love that it's written in past tense. You know what that tells me? That when I receive Christ as my Savior through the cross of Christ, all of my sin in God's eyes are past sins. Do you see that? That sin you're going to commit two weeks from now, it's not okay. It has damage. It has destruction. It has consequence. But it's in the past in God's eyes. Because it's already forgiven. It's already in the blood. That same feeling of unworthiness must change into a feeling of gratefulness. And I fear that the church, that the Christian has lost the gratefulness, has lost the understanding of what the love of God really is. Because the love of God is not just, I care for you, I did this for you. It's, you don't deserve it. You are broken and you are worthless in your sin. But I see you as my creation. I see you as my created being, and I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to die on a cross for you. I'm going to be beaten and shamed and tormented and tortured so that you, one day, could have a chance to receive forgiveness. I truly believe that until we fully understand the love of God and truly understand what God did for us, we will never understand this three-letter word. Many of you have already guessed the three-letter word is the word sin. And it's not like it was a brain teaser. It's not like it was, like, complicated to figure out. But we all understand. When I say the most destructive three-letter word in the English language, most of you go, oh, that's sin. But again, yet we open our doors. And we invite it into our homes. We put it on our TV. We put it on our computer. We let our kids listen to it in their headphones. We listen to it on things. And we go, no, 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 it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's okay. No, it's, I don't have a problem with that. I don't, I'm not tempted in that way. I don't struggle with that like other people do. Do you know every person I've ever met that is addicted to anything always said, I always thought I could quit anytime I wanted until I tried to quit? Maybe you're in here and you've battled addiction. You've battled some form of it in your life. Praise God, I've never really battled drug addiction or alcohol addiction or anything like that in my life. But can I be transparent? I can tell you that she's in heaven and she would want me to share this. You know this, my mother battled with it her whole life. Growing up, my mom, if she wasn't at the bar drinking, she was at the bar tending. It was just part of our life. 
I mean, she was a A1 classified alcoholic. And living with that, do you realize how many times we'd have discussion after discussion and she'd say, I just don't want to give it up. I just don't want to quit. I just don't want to give it up. And listen, it's like anything else. If you're here this morning and you've battled with that, listen, sin is an addiction. I want you to realize that this morning. Any sin is an addiction because it starts subtle and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And next thing you know, it's consumed you. It's consumed your family. And it's done more damage and more destruction in a short period of time than you could ever imagine. This morning and next week, we're going to talk about this idea of this three-letter word. This morning, we're going to be really quick. We're going to talk about two basic things. First and foremost, what is sin? And secondly, how do I find forgiveness of that sin? But to start off this morning, start off, I know we're like already halfway through. But before we get into what is sin and break that down, I want to kind of do an illustration this morning. And so I need you guys to help me out with this. I got a wallet up here. And I need to pick someone that has a, would have a wallet. Hmm, this is tough because I got to pick the right person. Hmm. Keith's always an easy target, but I don't think I'm going to pick him this morning. Shane, do you have a wallet on you? In my wallet is something very valuable. And if you want, I'll trade you whatever's in my wallet for all the money in your wallet. Would you be willing to do that? <laughs> now, wait, 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 wait. See, here's the trick. Shane doesn't have the money. Cherith does. But that's the trick. Okay. Here's the thing. Now, this is legit. We didn't talk about this before service, did we? I did come to you and say, hey, do this. No. This is like deal or no deal. This is, I'm not going to give back what you give me, and you don't have to give back what I give you. Okay? So something valuable in here for all the money in your wallet. How much money you got? Cash. A dollar! You got credit cards? You got any credit cards in there? You said money. You got it? You got your wallet on you, Ray? No, I'm just curious. Hang on. You got your wallet? Do you have money on you? Would you would you have done the trade if I asked you? I can't a dollar. I picked the lawyer and he's got a dollar. Mine's empty, by the way. So there. You just yeah, thanks. Um so, here's the point of that. I really wanted more than a buck. Rick, did you have cash on you? Would you have done the trade? Wow. Got some stingy people in here. Here's the point of that. Yeah, the point is I made a dollar. But that's not the only point, okay? The point of it is, that's sin, right? Like, that's temptation. With the hope of something better promise of something better you give up what you already have thinking i'll give this up because that's better and in the end what happens you have nothing because there's nothing here and you find out you've lost what you already had for the hope of something that you think is going to be better now i could give him his dollar back but that would kill the illustration so i don't want to do that (laughs) no joke I really, man, a dollar. Oh, I thought we were going to get luckies today. I was like really excited But that about is it. sin. What's that? 
No luckies? Is that what someone said? No lunch? Yeah. Sandra's cooking today. That means that. So um, I, I really want you to think about that, though. Because to me, that is the clearest understanding of what sin is. I mean, isn't that really what we fall for every single time? I mean, every time we choose sin, we're basically saying, I want something better, even if it means costing me something I already have. I want something better. I want something more. You know what I love is that when you read about sin in the Old Testament, because how do we define sin? How do we define sin? It is any time I think, say, or do anything displeasing to God. A very basic definition of sin is any time I think, say, or do anything displeasing to God. Displeasing to God is doing anything he says in his word not to do, think, or say. But what makes sin even more harmful and more damaging is not that we are believing just a lie over God's truth. Every time I choose sin, I'm saying God is lying to me in his word when he says don't do this. And I'm going to choose sin because I want something better. I want more pleasure. I want whatever. So I'm going to say God is actually a liar. I'm going to choose this sin. It's not just that that's damaging. The other side of that coin is I'm telling God I'm choosing this over you. Jeremiah talks about that. He says there's two wrongs that the people of God have committed. They have run to broken cisterns. They keep going back and back away from me, but they're choosing that over me. I mean, could you imagine the creator God giving us everything we could ever want or imagine that is good for us? And we just flippantly throw that aside and say, I want that because it looks better. It sounds better. It's more pleasing in this moment. It's not just choosing a lie over God's truth. It's choosing a sin over God. Every single time we sin, that is exactly what we are telling our creator God. And the reality is this is very natural for us. We naturally want to choose sin over God. We see this even in our temptations and the origin of our temptations. You're in the book of Romans. Turn over to James chapter 1. Very familiar passage. But I believe we need to read a little bit about this temptation. James chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Because it is natural for us to want to choose sin over God, to choose the immediate pleasures over God's word. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive, excuse me, the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when his lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We live in a culture of temptation. No matter what you say or where you look, you see temptation. Everywhere, it's all around us. I don't know if you guys remember, a couple years ago, I gave an illustration about the hat of temptation. Does anyone remember the hat of temptation? Had all this stuff hanging off of it? Anyone remember that? No? I could have done that again this morning. Nobody remembered. That's awesome. Um, 
but I got a dollar out of this one. So anyway, a dollar. Are you Okay. Um, I want you to think about that because temptation is everywhere. It's all around us. There are really two forms of temptation that we need to understand. One, there is external temptation. This is obvious, right? Media, uh, culture, billboards, it's everywhere, okay? I mean, everywhere you look, there is a saying, and it's true, sex sells, right? You could be watching a TV show, has no bearing on the show, no bearing on the plot, and they'll just throw in two people making out, and you're like, why? Why? That doesn't even make sense in the story. What is going on? Just because they can put a preview on there four or five times in the week of showing that, and you men especially go, oh, look at that. Hey, we're going to watch that show. With the, and it's like a 10-second clip in the actual 45-minute hour show. But guess what? It got guys to tune in. Why? Because sex sells. Car commercials, gum commercials, Burger places. I mean, all of it, use it. It's everywhere. Temptation is everywhere. That's external temptation. And we want to blame everything on the external. Right? It's always someone else's fault or something else's fault. But the other form of temptation that I believe is greater in our lives is that that comes from within. You see, we love to blame others for our sin decisions, which is really not new. You know, I used to think it's our generation or my generation that used to say, it's not my fault God made me this way. Like, I thought blaming God was kind of a new thing in our culture. I mean, God can't really say I'm living in a bad way or a bad lifestyle because God made me this way. It's his fault, not mine. But do you realize it's never changed since Genesis? No, no, God, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. No, no, God, it's not my fault. It's the serpent that deceived me. I mean, blaming God really is what they were doing. When Adam blamed God for creating woman, he was saying it's your fault that we even sinned to begin with. See, blaming God is nothing new. Blaming others is nothing new. But we have to take ownership and responsibility and say, yes, there is a temptation of cultural just everywhere around us. But we've got to take up and say, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions, for my choices. Because the Bible says that temptation starts from within. Temptation begins in here, and it's not God's fault. In fact, when you read the Word of God as we did this morning through the book of Romans, you come out with one clear message. It is your fault. See, that's not even popular in the church. That's not popular in most churches today, because when people come in on a sin decision, and they start weeping, Oh, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. They just made me do it. Blah, 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 blah. And church people gather around in little circles of friends and, oh, yeah, you're right, you're okay, it's not your fault, it's their fault, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. My accountability partner didn't call me this week, it's their fault. You know what we need to do is we need to lovingly say, hey, it is your fault. It is your fault. When Peter denied Christ three times in one night, Christ didn't go, it's okay, Peter, it's not your fault. He said, no, no, it is your fault. You did it. And we've got to be aware of that in the church and say, not in a, in a judgmental way, but just be honest with people and say, listen, this is sin. This can kill you. It's serious. And we need to lovingly encourage people away from making decisions like that. And it doesn't start with patting them on the back and saying, you're okay. If a guy's driving 100 miles an hour for the cliff, you don't sit in the passenger seat and go, hey, we're cool. Put, put it to the floor, man. Let's go. No, you do everything possible to stop them. Not because you want to put rules and laws in their life, because you love the person in the driver's seat. 
I mean, do we see the ridiculousness of some of the things that church has begun to put out there and, and push forward? We need to understand it is our fault that we make this indecision, no matter what the world throws at us. So how do we have those sins forgiven? How do we find forgiveness of these sins? And again, you're thinking, Pastor, this is Sunday morning. This is a church crowd. I mean, really, most people here are probably already Christians. I'm not naive enough to believe just because you're sitting in this room means you're a Christian. means you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You could sit in this room till you're 100 and never enter heaven. Because those chairs have no holy power in them that's going to save you just by sitting in them. Hope oh, I sat in the cushion chair. Sanctification. It doesn't happen that way. Holiness through osmosis doesn't work. So how do we have our sins forgiven? Can I just ask you just for a moment to really think about that question? And not for someone else that you know, oh man, I wish this guy was here. <laughs> that guy's a sinner. But for you, how, how do you know? Just between you and God right now, how do you know your sins are forgiven? Because the answer to that question will literally affect your entire eternity. How you answer this very question would determine not just this life, but the life to come. The answer is so simple, but yet so complex. Forgiveness comes by putting our faith into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believing that he alone paid the ransom or the propitiation, that big Bible word there we read, for my sin, and by saving me, sets me on a path for heaven as a follower of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by grace and faith. But I want us to understand that even our faith is worthless unless placed in the finished work of the cross. Let me say that again. Your faith, no matter how sincere, is worthless unless it's faith in Christ and its finished work on the cross. Listen to what Spurgeon said about this idea. Don't agree with everything Spurgeon ever wrote, but he's a brilliant man that God used mightily through the years, and so I want to share you with this with you. It is not thy hold on Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. Did you catch that? It is not your hold onto Christ that saves you. It is Christ holding onto you. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ's joy that saves you. It is not even thy faith in Christ, though that must be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merit. So your faith is worthless unless placed in the blood. You have this misconception that all faith is good. Just have faith. Just have faith. I don't remember the guy's name. The song in the 80s. Gotta have faith. Who was that? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's not just having faith that saves you. It is putting that faith, that trust in the merit, the work, the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is what saves us. If you are here and you've done that, you've placed your faith into the merits and blood of Christ, then you are forgiven of all your sin. Maybe you didn't hear me. That's, it's, this microphone cuts in and out sometimes. If you are here and you've done that, you've placed your faith your trust, your life, your everything into Jesus' blood and merit, then you have been saved. And all your sins, all your sins, your, not hit, your sins are forgiven and washed clean and are white. Amen. 
See, here's my thing. I think sometimes we get more excited about things in this world, which is broken and falling and will be destroyed, than we do about the simple fact that Jesus Christ of his own free will and choice, not by my choosing, but by his, died on a sinner's cross for my death. And we look at that and we go, oh, amen. Now, I understand maybe you're not an excited person whatever, but I, get, I just get burned down with that when I see Christians living this life and they get more excited about what's going on out there than what's going on in here. And we don't want to be like, hey, praise God, because I was dead, Ephesians says. Jesus resurrected me, gave me new life. Now I walk with him and praise God for that. And I know we're a Baptist church. I understand it says Baptist on the sign, but we can get excited about the fact that Christ gave us life. And too many Christians are overwhelmed with the worries of this world and they forget, oh wait, all of this is going to perish away, but my eternal soul will rest with Christ in heaven forever. So maybe I should be a little bit more focused on that than what's on TV later. Or lunch. I mean, what is, what is it our problem that I get more passionate about junk that's going to be meaningless in 10, 20, 50 years, but we can't get even a little bit passionate about Jesus Christ. Can't even get a little bit fired up about who, the one who saved us. And by the way, your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, he's not going to get saved through osmosis of you being a Christian. Living next door to you isn't going to save him. You telling him all the things he's doing wrong isn't going to save him. But man, your passion and your zeal for Jesus Christ, as he hears and sees and watches your lifestyle and watches your marriage and watches your family. Yes, it sounds unfair. Why do people watch us as Christians? Because Jesus said they would. And he said, that's the whole point. You want to know the best evangelism tool? It's not a 16-week program. It's not a six-week program. It's not a television show. It's not a track. Jesus said, if they see your love for one another, then they will know that I came and that I love them as much as I love you. Those are Jesus' words. If you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Christ, and I look around, it's, I mean, a lot of people here have told me I, I've received Christ or I go to church or whatever. Listen, if you've put your faith in coming here, You've put your faith in Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or whatever, fill in the blank. You've put your faith in a Bible translation. You've put your faith in, in a tithe envelope. You've put your faith in an empty baptism. You've put your faith in anything other than Jesus. Then let me tell you this morning, it will not lead to Jesus. It will not lead to his heaven. The Bible says that sin has one outcome without the blood of Christ, and that is a place called hell. It's not a scare tactic. It's not a fear factor. It's simple. Jesus said, I love you so much, I want you to know the truth. And the truth is, without me, there is no life. There is only death. So if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, then you can do that this morning. Just in prayer between you and him and acknowledging that you have sinned, broken his law, repent of that sin. I don't even like saying accept Jesus because it makes it sound like Jesus needs my acceptance. Son of God doesn't need my acceptance. He's not some wimp, like weakling little savior over here in the corner. Oh, please accept me. He is the eternal Godhead, the son of God. And he says, if you repent and trust, I will save you. So let's stop talking about accepting Jesus. Let's repent and follow Jesus. 
Now, I know what people mean when they say that. I'm not, I understand. Oh, ask Jesus into your heart. I get it. But let's think biblically. Biblically, it says, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, trust Jesus, follow Jesus. That's, that's what the Bible says salvation looks like. So let's do that this morning. If you've never done that, put your faith in him and find forgiveness and find joy and peace and rest. And yes, even persecution and trials and struggles because that's part of it too. If I stood up here and told you that if you believe Jesus and everything's going to be great, I'd be lying to you. Because guess what? Your life isn't going to be great. Your life isn't going to be all good. Your tomorrow might be wrecked with crazy things going on. So for me to say, get Jesus and your life's better. No, no. Get Jesus Follow Jesus, trust in Jesus, and you have life. Jesus never came to give us a better life. That wasn't his goal. His goal was, I want to give you life. Now that you have that life, here's the abundant life. Which is better. Which is more abundant and more joyful. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was give them life. Not just a better life. Man, money could give you a better life for a short time. Sin gives you a better life for a short time. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're struggling in sin. Maybe you've beaten yourself up over a past sin. By past, I mean this morning, yesterday, last week, 50 years ago. You need to trust. If you say you put your faith in the blood and merit of Christ, then do it fully. And if I say I've done that, then I can't beat myself up for a sin that he says he already forgave me for. So if you're here and you're doing that, you've been carrying that weight, stop carrying that weight. Believe his word. He says all sin is forgiven. Past, present, and future. Does that mean we just go out and we sin as much as we want? We do whatever we want? We just kind of live however we want? Paul answers that question in the book of Romans. He says, no, God forbid. But it means that when I fall and when I sin, I don't have to work my way back to Jesus. He says, no, just believe I've already forgiven that. Repent and move on. So maybe this morning you need to repent and just move on. You're already saved. You know Jesus. But maybe you just need to repent from that sin that you find yourself getting trapped in over and over and over again and go, I'm repenting of this and I'm going to follow Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never received Christ and you want to do that this morning. Maybe you're here and you've received Christ and you've never been baptized. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, you want to be baptized as a symbol of that testimony. Then maybe you want to come this morning and we'd love to talk to you about that. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you on, I'm going to ask that you would just respond to him this morning. Next week, we're going to continue this talk and look at what happens when a Christian sins. I mean, really get into what happens when a Christian sins. Or how about this one? How do we respond to other people's sins? We're going to really talk more about this topic next week. But this morning, I want you to really think on these truths. Do you know Christ? And if you know Christ, then are you following Christ? Are you trapped in a sin? Maybe you're here and you're married. And you've been battling with some temptations. Maybe you're here and you're single and you've been battling with some temptations. Maybe you're a guy and you've been battling with pornography or other things of that nature, just lustful things that have been tempting you. Maybe you're here and a woman and and you're battling with temptations that only you could understand. Maybe you're here and you battle the temptation of gossip, bitterness, envy. Maybe your, your neighbor got a raise and you just can't take it. Maybe you're here and you're battling the temptation of pride or arrogance or self righteousness. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, give it to Christ. Acknowledge that he died for that sin. Move on and watch him do great things. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to have a short invitation. I just want to ask you to respond to him this morning. If you're here and you're trapped in a sin, you just feel like you can't get out of it. 
You know God's word says not to live that way. You know God says this is not appropriate, but you just can't get out of it. Then maybe you'd make the decision today to do whatever is necessary, whatever steps are required, no matter how much it hurts, to follow Christ in spite of what your flesh says. To follow Christ in spite of what your culture says. I don't know where you are, but I believe we all battle temptation and we all battle sin. And with your heads bowed, I just want you to spend time with him this morning and just tell him and confess in him and believe in him that he has forgiven you of those things. You can have victory and grace in those things this morning. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you just respond? Whether when we stand in a moment, you just stand there and pray and sing, praising him. Maybe you want to come and pray. If you're battling temptation and you just want to submit to him, seek his strength, seek his wisdom. Maybe you'd come and bow a knee up front here just to spend that time with him. Maybe you'd pray there in your seats. Whatever it is, would you just respond? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. May we understand this morning more than any other time that sin is damaging. It is destructive. It has the ability to to rob us blind. It has the ability to destroy everything that we love and everything we care about and everyone we care about. Father, may we not believe the lie that it's something better. But may we trust in the simple fact that you are all we need. (laughs) Father, I pray for your children this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We all struggle with temptation. Some of us have the ability by your grace and the maturity to resist temptation at times. Others of us have been weak at times and we've given into those temptations. I pray that we would find victory in Jesus Christ. For the guy that's sitting here this morning that's addicted to pornography, I pray first and foremost, Lord, they would understand that they are not alone. That they are so not alone. That that so many men and even women battle that addiction moment by moment every day. May we not believe the lie, but may we believe the truth of the word of God that no matter the sin, no matter the addiction, no matter the temptation, that we can and will have victory when we walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you for your forgiveness, for seeing us as valuable and worthy just because we are your creation. Father, may you move as only you can and may you convict May you lead, guide, and direct. And Holy Spirit, we give you complete free reign to do what you will. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.